Well, good morning. Welcome and thank you for coming. Well, today's message is titled Faithfulness. And it's based on Ruth 3, verses 1 through 5, and then a little bit later, Ruth 4, verses 13 to 17, and we'll be looking at that in a little bit. Earlier this week, I was, uh, on Thursday, I was in Oxnard visiting our farm there. And um, it was a nice, pleasant day, nice fall day, but then around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the Santa Ana winds started kicking up all the way up to 35, 40 miles an hour. There was dust blowing everywhere at the, at the Oxnard Plain. But while walking the fields, we noticed this little plume of smoke southwest in the mountains, southwest of, of Oxnard. And then within about 15 minutes, that little plume had turned into this big, dark cloud of smoke. By the time we left in the afternoon... We could see the flames, one of us started to get dark, we could see the flames on the ridge just burning away. And at that point, Highway 101 and Highway 1 were already closed. Now, the drought conditions in Southern California are very severe right now. There has not been much rainfall in Southern California in quite a long time. So the vegetation is tinder dry, and it doesn't take much for a devastating fire to take off under those conditions. This morning, there are three major fires burning in California. Collectively, between those three fires, they have charged 200,000 acres. 300,000 people are forced from their homes. Our hearts and prayers go to all the victims and all the first responders that are fighting those fires. Well, last week, I was in Holland, and the big news in Holland were the drought conditions that are affecting all of Northwestern Europe after an extreme hot and dry summer. April, May, and July were the driest months ever recorded in Holland, and recording in Europe goes back a lot longer than it does here, because... Well, the effects on the crops have been significant. Some crops were completely destroyed by the drought. The potato and onion crops yields are expected to be down by at least 30%. Well, that's a big deal because according to potatopro.com, Holland is the world's major supplier of certified seed potatoes with export over 700,000 tons a year. That's 35,000 containers, by the way. It is expected that these lower yields of planting stock for potato farmers around the world will affect acres this next year. Crop losses and crop failures due to drought have plagued farmers all the way to the beginning of times. A report from the Earth Institute of Columbia University provides a drought atlas map based on 2,000 years of climate in Europe. And this is what it writes. The long history of severe droughts across Europe and the Mediterranean 
has largely been told through historical documents and ancient journals. Well, speaking of historical documents, the Old Testament goes into great detail about droughts and famine, going all the way back to the days of Abraham. And in Genesis 12.10, it describes a severe drought with Abraham going down to the land of Egypt as an alien because of a famine in the land of Israel. Then a generation later, in Genesis 26.1, Isaac moved to the land of the Philistines after a famine again came upon the land of Israel. Then about 50 years later, there was a widespread famine all over the Middle East. And Jacob sent his sons down to Egypt to purchase grain. And in Genesis 41-53, we read that this famine was so large, it had affected every country. And it lasted for seven years. Just as Joseph had predicted when interpreting the dream of Pharaoh. The Egyptians were the only country that had stored enough grain during the previous seven years of abundance. Well, the next major drought causing a famine is recorded in the book of Ruth. And the Bible says in Ruth 1.1, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Well, the time span of the judges ran from 1300 to 1100 B.C. And based on the genealogy listed later in the chapter in Ruth, it puts this famine right around the mid-1100s before Christ. This famine was so severe that Naomi and her husband and two sons moved to the land of Moab looking for a better life. But then misfortune strikes when Naomi's husband dies. So both of her sons marry Moabite girls, one called Orpah and the other one, Ruth. Ten years go by, and then Naomi's sons die as well. So first her husband... And now both sons. Three widows and no income. Things are not good. She lost everything. Home, husband, sons. And she cries out in grief. Naomi says in Ruth one twenty, Don't call me Naomi any longer. Call me Mara. For the, or for the Almighty One has made me very bitter. Mara means bitter. She tells both of her daughters-in-law to go back to her mother's home. Orpah goes back. But Ruth refuses out of loyalty and love for her mother-in-law. <laughs> And that is what brings us to today's reading in Ruth 3, 
verses 1 through 5 and Ruth 4, 13 through 17. And this can be found on page 241, and I'll give you a moment to, to pull it up. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you, so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman Boaz, with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself. And put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. So she said to her, all that you tell me. I will do. And then the reading continues to chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and became his wife. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive. And she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. Who has not left you this day without next of kin. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. And a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you. Is more to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and later laid him in her bosom. And became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave gave him a name saying. A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse. The father of David. Please bow our heads. Guide us O God. By your word and spirit. That in your light we may see light. And in your truth find wisdom. And in your will, discover your peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So that famine in the mid-1100s BC was of such a magnitude that for Naomi and her family to move to Moab underscores the severity of the situation. Now you may ask, why? What's the big deal about moving to Moab? Well, there is a rich history in the Bible about Moab dating all the way back to Abram and Lot, his nephew. Lot's daughters conceived two boys called Moab and Ammon through an incestuous relationship with her father. So the descendants of Moab and Ammon settled in the land east of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea in present-day country of Jordan. And for centuries, there was much conflict between the countries. 
Moses, after spending 40 years in the wilderness, came upon Mount Nabu. Nabu. Above the plain of Moab. Where he could see the promised land. But the Israelites could not enter until after Moses had passed away. And in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Moses is very explicit about Moab and the Moabites. He brings it up 47 times. In Deuteronomy 23.3, Moses forbids any Moabite or Ammonite or any of their descendants for 10 generations to be admitted to the assembly of God. So in other words, Moses orders his fellow Israelites to stay away from these Moabites. Don't hang out with these folks. And for hundreds of years, this was ingrained in the Jewish culture. Which would explain why the author of the story of Ruth kept referring to Moab and Moabites. The story repeatedly describes Ruth as a Moabitess. And in a book covering only three pages in the Bible, which you just saw, it's a very small book, she is referred as a Moabitess 14 times. Now in September, about six, seven weeks ago, we harvested quinoa at the farm in Arcata. And we used a combine to do that. So as the quinoa heads got sucked into this combine, and some forced air blew the chaff out of the back, and the combine seeds fell into the, uh, the, into the grain bin. Pretty cool process to watch. I even filmed it and, and posted it online. But there were no combines in the days of Ruth. The grain was trashed or beat down on a trashing floor to separate the grain from the hull. And then they would throw these seeds and the chaff in the air with a fork and let the wind blow all the chaff out. This process is called winnowing. And the old saying, separating the wheat from the chaff, is derived from this process. Now, trashing floors at the time of harvest were in danger of being robbed. So it was not unusual for the farmer to sleep on the trashing floor to protect his harvest. So Naomi is left with Ruth, and she's worried about her future. So she sets up this blind date with a distant family member, of her deceased husband. And she gives Ruth specific instructions on what to do at that trashing floor. Well, the story of Ruth is intriguing. And I've heard some folks make the argument that it's just a tale of Naomi trying to set up a husband for her widowed daughter-in-law. But I believe the story of Ruth goes much deeper. First of all, Ruth had absolutely no obligation to stay 
with her mother-in-law. She remained loyal and chose to be with Naomi. It is the ultimate expression of faithfulness on behalf of Ruth. She is faithful to her mother-in-law. She is faithful to providing for her needs. But above all, she is faithful to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here we have Ruth, a Moabite woman raised in the pagan worship of Chemosh, who on her own decides to follow the God of the Israelites. Folks, the core message of the story of Ruth is found in chapter 1, verse 16. In this amazing show of faithfulness, Ruth says, Do not press to leave, do not press me to leave you, or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, there I will be buried. It is the ultimate story of redemption. Of restoration. Of revitalization. And it is the precursor of things to come 1100 years later. When God includes the Gentiles into his kingdom. As we can read in, Act, in the book of Acts. The Bible says in Acts 10.45. The Jewish believers who came with Peter. Were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit. Had been poured out on the Gentiles as well. So God blesses Ruth with a husband. But not, not only that. She bears a son called Obed. And he became the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David, King David. This is the same Jesse as prophesied in Isaiah 11.1. 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, foreshadowing a messianic line that will bring Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah, 1100 years later. The gift that God provided to the whole world. Now Ruth could have succumbed to depression and to despair for being a widow and run back to her mother and feel sorry for herself. But she did not yield to self-pity or a display of bitterness. That had gripped the heart of her mother-in-law, Naomi, because of her sad lot. Ruth maintained a poise and a serenity that even her mother-in-law must have desired. Naomi's self-confessed bitterness over the loss of her husband and her sons spoke of her faltering faith. In God's good providence. She neglected to see the gift. That God placed right in her path. 
Now this made me think of a story about a, about a professor who surprised his students with a midterm test. And he handed the paper, the question paper, with the text facing down, as usual. Then he asked the students to turn the page and gave them an hour to finish the test. Or to everyone's surprise, there were no questions. There was just one black dot on the right end of that white piece of paper. And he instructed his students to write down what they, what they could see. After an hour, the professor took back the papers and started reading them aloud. All the students had taken great length to describe that dark spot in every possible way. Not one student had written about the white part of the paper, the blank portion with countless opportunities. This is what happened to Naomi. She was in despair and focused on that dark spot in her life. She missed the blessing that God had put in her path. In this analogy, Ruth represents the white part of the piece of paper. Nowhere in the story do we read about her lamenting of the, of the situation she found herself in or being in despair. Ruth seems to have quietly, calmly acquiesced in the divine will of God with her faithfulness. She did not focus on that dark spot. To the contrary, the story of Ruth could fill the whole page about the good that came into her life and that of Israel as a whole. And through the messianic line that ultimately leads to Jesus Christ 1100 years later. The gospel reading this morning was from Mark 12, 12, 12 4. And Jesus is watching the crowd putting money in the treasury. And a poor widow puts two copper coins worth one penny. He called his disciples and he said, This poor widow has put in more than all those contributing to the treasury. What a great metaphor. Jesus was aware of his ancestry. He knew the story of Ruth. And he probably could recite that story of Ruth by heart. Ruth was a poor widow with absolutely nothing. But she gave what she had. Faithfulness. Love. Grace. Loyalty. And a deep trust. In the Lord our God. In Judaism, the book of Ruth is read during the, the Jewish Feast of the Harvest. In 11 days, we will be celebrating Thanksgiving across America. Our feast and celebration of the harvest.
In a moment, we will sing, Come ye thankful people, come. This traditional Thanksgiving song is not only appropriate for the upcoming holiday, but also very fitting given the story of Ruth today. Come ye thankful people, come. Raise the sun of harvest home. All is safely gathered in, ere the winter storms begin. God our maker does provide for our wants to be supplied. Thanksgiving is a good time for contemplation. And given the stark contrast between Naomi and Ruth, we may ask ourselves the question over the Thanksgiving meal. What characterizes us? Are we like Naomi? When misfortune strikes, we turn to bitterness, hopelessness, or despair? Or are we more Ruth-like? When things get bad, we strengthen in faithfulness. We put our trust in God. And we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Friends, let the story of Ruth teach us to be faithful. To put our trust in God. Allow His redeeming powers to take a hold of our lives. Follow God and spread the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And let Him guide us through that narrow gate on the path to eternal life. Thank you. God bless you. Amen.